So uh, we're going to look today at uh, Nehemiah chapter 11 uh, through uh, Nehemiah chapter 12. And the reason for that is it's very long and it's uh, a bunch of lists. And so um, I'm not going to read to you the whole, all of these lists. Uh, it's a lot of lists. And so, um, but we are going to draw some conclusions from this text uh, that God has uh, included this uh, in the scriptures for us. And so there's something here for us to learn, something here for us to uh, to take away from that, to be challenged and comforted. So uh, I will read the first three verses after I pray, and um, and we'll look at several different passages through through this text. But um, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna force you to sit and hear me read the the list. So it's hard enough to listen to me when I'm talking about stuff that's fun. So much less unpronounceable names and um, like 50 verses of that, right? So. Uh, but in light of that, let me pray, and uh, then we'll jump in. Lord, we uh, come to you today as people uh, easily distracted, uh, easily uh, embittered, easily uh, uh, concerned about our own comfort and entertainment. Uh, and uh, it's hard for us um, not to be concerned about those things. But the, the great news is you know that about us already. Uh, and uh, you saw that in us, and it did not repel you. Uh, it drew you to us. And so um, as we look today at this list of your people, pray that you would uh, encourage our hearts, lift our heads, uh, remind us uh, of uh, the goodness and the power, the promise of our God. Uh, would you do that today in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Amen. So I'll just read to you uh, to begin with today uh, from Nehemiah chapter 11, uh, verses 1 uh, to 3. Um, and, and this also reminds me, since we're almost at the end of, of Nehemiah, you know, we started back in January with Ezra, and now we're up to Nehemiah uh, uh, and almost done with that. So I think, I think it's the 13th of September, maybe the 20th of September is when we'll start a new series. We're going to uh, look beginning uh, in September at the New Testament epistle of Philippians. Uh, and, and the reason for that is because uh, if you know anything at all about Philippians, it's primarily about joy. We don't really need to think much about joy these days, so I don't know why I decided that God might lead me to preach on that. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, just in light of uh, the, the world in which we live. But that's, that's what we'll start whenever we, we finish uh, we finish Nehemiah. So uh, Nehemiah 11 verses 1 to 3. This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem but in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. So this is, uh, if you look at this text and you were to open the scriptures, you'd see list after list after list, name after name after name. And uh, uh, whenever you come to, whenever you're doing your Bible reading plan, right, and you come to things like this, it's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> Can I get an amen on that, Vonda? <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Uh, so, so, the, so the fact is, you you read stuff like this and you think, what in the world is is a list like this doing in in the Bible? Right. Which is kind of funny for us, because I know a lot of people. I'm looking at some of them right now in this room who love lists, who live by their list, right? List, it's how they organize their life, how they, how they think about what they're going to do and how they, they approach life. We, uh, one of the things over the years having, uh, Ann Long and, uh, Kristen Tetterton as our, uh, directors of administration, they all, you will always see them at work with a steno pad with, uh, one list and they're flipping through that thing and they'll write something on the line and put a little box out next to it and, you know, Progress in the kingdom of God is measured by how many of those boxes get checked, right? And so it's it's a pretty profound thing, right? So so the the, the problem with lists are uh, I'm really only interested in my list, not that interested in your list, right? And 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 one of the ways I know that is, well, you back a long time ago, we used to have these things in America called movie theaters, and people. People paid a lot of money to go sit in the dark in the air conditioning and watch a movie and paid even more money for a Coke and a thing of popcorn that's really gross and so that their feet could stick to the floor. And they would sit there and they would watch movies. We don't do that anymore, right? Is there a movie theater open in Richmond? Not that I know of. Uh, but one of the things that happens is you watch the movie and what do you do when the movie's over? You get up and walk out. You don't stay in there for the next 15 minutes to watch the credits, the list of names, do you? Unless somebody you know or you love is on that list, right? Uh, so, so that's what makes a list special is if there's a name on that list where you look at it and you think, you know, I love that person. And so I might sit through a high school graduation that has 700 names on it. To hear that one of the person I love, right? So as we, as we look at this text, and, and guys, you can go ahead and put my notes up. That, that's one of the, one of the things that you have to see about this is, is that God loves this list. These aren't just crazy names, faceless names that span, uh, days and weeks and months and even a century as we'll see as we look at this. No, these are his people. He loves these people. And so God delights in this long list. Because when he looks at this list, he sees some things that we might miss. It is good for God to celebrate, for him to look at this and say, not only do I have a mass of people out here who belong to me, but I know these people by name and they matter to me. They belong to me. They are my people. I love this list, right? And so one of the things that you have to see is that the value of this list of names ultimately indicates the resiliency of the people of God because of the resiliency of the promise of God. The fact of the matter is, remember, these people are the people who and the descendants of the people who came from the Persian Empire, from Babylon, to resettle back in Jerusalem because Jerusalem had been destroyed and the people of God had lived for 70 years in exile. There's the, the fact that there's a list of people of God now 
as we read in this text, who live in the holy city and in the land of Israel at all, is a miracle of grace. It is a testimony to the resiliency of the promise of our God. You see, that is one of the things that is, is so profound about this, is that we tend to look at this, we think of the resiliency of, of us, the resiliency of, of, of the church, of, of us, because we're tough or because we're able to do things. No, the fact that the church exists at all today is because God has promised to see to it that the church would, would live. Even when the church itself did not want to live. Even when the people of God themselves chose to rebel, God would not have it. And he would see to it that his people, his promise, would come to full fruition. And so whenever you look at a list like this, don't blow it off because God loves the list. And in fact, in fact, all of history, uh, all of the work of God kind of ends and, and moves towards a list. Did you know that? We read in Revelation 21, when John sees the new uh, Jerusalem, he says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The big list. You want the, the culmination of eternity, the culmination of your testimony, the culmination of the work of God in the world is that we get our name on the list. A list that God loves. A name that is dear to him. People that matter to him. Right? And so it is good for us. It's, 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 it's hard for us to pay attention. It's hard for us to, to, to kind of interact with this. But the, the reality is this list shows us and displays to us the glory of our promise making and our promise keeping God. So there are three issues that uh, this this long text draws out for us, and we're going to look at them uh, uh, this morning. So uh, the first one is: so what was the point of rebuilding the city in which no one lived? You may you may think, why is it? You know, we've been spending all this time. You know, they get there, the Jerusalem is a ruin, the walls are torn down, the the temple's torn down, and over uh, all of these years, they rebuilt the temple. They took all this time and energy to rebuild the walls. But as we had read a few weeks ago in chapter 7, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been, uh, had been rebuilt, right? So as you, as you read that, here's this giant city, they've spent all this time and energy on it, and nobody wants to live there. Remember, these people moved there and, and there was not a city to move to. They didn't come to Jerusalem and there was already a place to live. Jerusalem was a ruin. It was a burned out mess and, and only a handful of people lived there and it was, it, it was much like it had been the 70 years before when the Babylonians came and destroyed it. 
And so what do the people do? The people that returned from, from Babylon, they find places in the country and, and go back and, and, and find the land that was their ancestral land and, and they begin to live there and they begin to make, make their homes there and they're making their living there and they're doing commerce and they're raising families and they're marrying and they're, they're doing the things that people do. But they've got to rebuild the wall. They've got to rebuild the city. After all, it's God's city. It is the place where God's glory was revealed there in the temple. That's where his glory resided in the Old Testament. It was a big thing. And that's why Nehemiah calls it the holy city. And it was important for the holy city to be filled with the holy people of God. But who wants to live there? And so they have this process after the wall is built that we we need to put people in the city. And so they draw straws, they cast lots, right? But there are some people that we read here, bless them all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Just imagine that dinner conversation. Sweetie, the city's empty. I know you like the farm. I know you like the house. It's very comfortable. Guess what? God's called us to leave it. To go to a place where there is no house and build one and live there for the glory of God. Right? Uh, I'm sure that uh, uh, that uh, was a difficult, difficult conversation, right? I mean, as you think about that, that's, that's exactly what's happening here. And the, and the people, they, 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 it's important that they do this. And so the people are celebrating the fact that there are among us people who hear the call of God and respond to it for the sake of the glory of God, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, who pick up where they are and go somewhere else. They deliberately make themselves uncomfortable. Now, I, I know for, for many of us, we think, you know, I would make myself uncomfortable, but I'm married to this person or I have these, these kids and I'm not going to make them uncomfortable. No wonder the, the people that uh, picked up and did this, they were grateful. They honored them, Right. It is, a, it is a profound thing. The, the very fact that there is a church today at all has not only to do with, as we've seen, the promise of God, certainly, but there are people who believe the promise of God is so profound and the work of the gospel is so profound that they are willing to set aside that which is most important to, to us, which is our settledness and our comfort. For the sake of the community, for the sake of the people of God, for the sake of the glory of God. Now, not everybody does this, right? One in ten. Uh, but it is a profound thing for us to see. The, one of the reasons why, one of the most important reasons why the church is here today is because generation after generation after generation has heard the call and faithfully sacrificed their comfort to give themselves to the mission of seeing the people of God built up. And so it's no wonder that they honored them, right? And so we read this list of the people who came to live in the city, right? The, the lay people, the Levites, the priests. 
you know, it's a, it's a pretty profound thing. You, you may not, you, you know, we, we think of living in the city as a cool thing, right? Don't, don't most people think that, that, you know, urban dwellers, they're the cool people, right? You know, great coffee, great craft beer, cool restaurants, you know, uh, that sort of thing. Well, this is not like that. We read, it was, uh, this is a great quote at the beginning of the, of the order of worship, uh, under the preparation for worship. The people blessed all the men who willing, willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was particularly difficult of settlement, seeing that it was the center of danger and peculiarly liable to attack. There were some who voluntarily came forward to dwell in the place of danger. And these were specially honored by the people. And then this last sentence is just awesome. The statement is one which gives occasion for some heart searching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So who knows when they celebrated that, there might have been people in there who were, who were moved by the sacrifice of their brothers and sisters. And there might have been others who were relieved. They're like, well, I'm glad he's going and I don't have to. Right. But one of the things that marks the church out and one of the reasons why the church is here today is because someone somewhere said, I'll go do that. I'll go do that. And they did it. And God was glorified. And we bear witness to their sacrifice and their work today, right? Next slide. The issue, too, is the generational nature of this community, right? Uh, and, and that's one of the things that you have to see is pretty profound about this, that uh, the, the, the very fact that there's a people there at all is uh, uh, the fact that these people here uh, are existing and living after generations of being scattered, after generations of unfaithfulness, after generations of, of all sorts of difficulty that came against them, right? And so the very fact that they're there is a testimony uh, to the, the very goodness and uh, the grace of God. And it is, it's a pretty profound thing for us to think about. We, we tend not to think about God moving in generations, do we? We, we tend to think about uh, the fact that, you know, what, what God's doing right now is, is the important thing. And what happened before or what's going to happen next is, is not that important. But the reality of, of, of this, this situation is, is that God uh, is at work generationally. One of the problems with the church in America is we think, well, until our church came along, there really wasn't a, a good church. There, was, there were churches there, but they were old and boring. And because they were old and boring, our church is young and exciting. And so it's better. I used to think that. I was a church planner 26 years ago. I, you, you have to sell that when your church is in a trailer hooked to a Buick station wagon. Right? You got to act like you're hip and cool. And the latest, coolest thing to happen. And, you know, all these other churches with their brick buildings, they're lame. So something happened there. Something changed over the years, right? Now that we're in a brick building. But uh, um, but the fact of the matter is, God has been at work generationally. And, and, and the fact that many of us are even here at all today is because someone who loved us a long time ago and a generation or a generation or a generation or two ago was faithful to believe the word of God failingly, sinfully often, failing miserably. And yet God used that witness so that today there are people like us 
who believe the gospel. One of the things that is, is pretty profound about uh, this text is in, in chapter 12, verse 1, one of the things that uh, that you read is, in the days of Joachim were priests, heads of fathers' houses. Oh, I'm reading the wrong verse. They're the priests. These are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. And Nehemiah is listing here for us the people who came a hundred years before. A hundred years ago, these people came, the first group of people that came there to Jerusalem. And here's a hundred years later, there's still a faithful community there. The fact that there's a church at all is because God works through generations and families. Which is so hard to believe, right? Because our families are so much the source of pain and struggle often, isn't it? Isn't it funny how it works like that? Yesterday we had the opportunity uh, to take some groceries over uh, to my uh son and daughter-in-law. And we pulled up in front of their apartment. And as I'm getting out of the truck, I hear... And it's my grandson, 18 months old, banging on the window because he sees me, right? Because he knows, all right, all bets are off. I can do whatever I want to do. It's time to, you know, and we go in there because we go in at the wrong time. They were getting him ready to take a nap. No, there's not going to be a nap when grandpa and grandma are there. And uh, what is what is my job? Stir him up. Stir him up. So we run around, we play, uh, finally uh, he takes me back to his room, we're back there playing with blocks, his mom and dad leave us alone, it's just the two of us back there. So what do you do when you're alone with your 18 month old grandson? Well he's working away at his blocks and I put my hand on his head and I say, Jesus loved this little boy. May he know you, and would you do a faithful work in him? Now, our family's a mess, okay? Uh, There's plenty of depravity, plenty of sin. And so it's absolutely essential that Jesus do that work. But I can pray that because Jesus does that work, right? Right? And so as, as we read in this text here, what happens here is as time goes by, these people struggle, they fail, they sin, and yet God is faithful to his promise to have a people of God there, and he uses even this faltering witness to raise up generation after generation for his church, for his people. We trust that. We lean into that. That's our hope. And it is amazing to me. Uh, as it occurred to me yesterday as I prayed over him, I, the, I was convicted by the fact, you know, I spend an awful lot of my time and energy thinking about and giving myself to things that aren't that important. Like my comfort, making sure I, I watch my British TV shows at the right time and I'm comfortable and Everything around me is comfortable, and as far as I can look out into the future, I'm providing for my comfort. But really, what matters more than the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed in the world generation after generation after generation? 
We have the promise of our God that there will always be a people of God in the, in the world, and he does that certainly through people's sacrifice, certainly through the generational proclamation of the gospel. But he also does it this way, too. And, and as we look at this list, if we had time to go through it today, what we would note is there are all kinds of different peoples with different gifts and jobs. Uh, we read in verse 9 of chapter 11, there are overseers in verse 16, those who did the outside work of the house of God. We read about the high priest, the leaders of praise. All of those people are there doing their thing. And it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful picture. One of the things that we have to see about the resiliency of the promise of God and the resiliency of the people of God is that God loves diversity. Now, I know diversity is a buzzword. It's a weird word. It's one of those words that, that, you know, you, you never know exactly what it means. But the fact of the matter is God loves a diverse group of people. He, he doesn't want everybody to be the same. He doesn't want everybody to have the same passion. He doesn't want everybody to have the same set of gifts. He doesn't want everybody to have the same job. The beauty of the body of Christ is, is that it is varied. It is different. You know, we, the, the, the way I tend to think about diversity, though, is, is that diversity is how I define it. Not how God defines it. You know, it's amazing at all that there's a church because if you if you look at the twelve disciples, the first twelve followers of Jesus Christ, they should have killed each other. In fact, there were tax collectors and people, men whose job it was to kill tax collectors, sleeping together on the ground with the Son of God for three years. So how in the world did that ever work? Why in the world would you ever think that you could get a diverse group of people with a diverse set of gifts and experiences and bring them together for the glory of God and for the beauty that the city would be, right? It's a pretty profound thing for us to, 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 to think about. And again, it is, it is one of those things where we have the resiliency and the promise of God that he is going to see to it that this work happens. So that in the end, not only do we have a list that is the, 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 the Lamb's Book of Life, but the names in that Lamb's Book of Life are from every language, tribe, and nation. Right? It's pretty profound thing to think that the very thing that we tend to think that would undermine the church diversity is actually the thing that makes it one of the things that makes it resilient because the one thing that is unified in the people of God is the work of God in Jesus Christ to unite us I know there's a lot of discouragement about the church a lot of fear that it might go away Right. You hear that kind of stuff all the time. Uh, in fact, there are plenty of people, I'm sure, in the world that would be glad that if the church did go away or that it would be its mission would be redefined in such a way that the gospel is no longer central, that Jesus no longer matters and that the cross is optional. But Theodore Beza, uh, the, a friend of John Calvin, uh, wrote some great hymns, said that the church is an anvil. And I read that this morning and I realized I bet there are people here who don't know what an anvil is because I saw somebody turn to somebody else and say, what's an anvil? I grew up with one outside of our barn. We had one and um, uh, it's just a giant piece of, of 
iron that you shape hot iron on by beating it with a, with a hammer. Uh, and my dad used to say to us when he would get frustrated with us is, you boys could tear up an anvil, right? And so, uh, which is, it's, it's impossible, but we, we tried. Uh, but the, 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 the fact of the matter is, uh, the church actually is an anvil that's worn out many hammer, hammers because the church is built in such a way and formed by God in such a way that it exhausts the blows against it by absorbing them and turning back to those that would uh, be a hammer to the church. We turn back to them in love because we once were the hammer that God has redeemed, right? Because of the love of Christ, we can, uh, in a sense, bear witness to this great truth and so even though the, the enemies often are within the church, the enemies are often without the church, the fact is the anvil remains and it absorbs what it needs to absorb for the glory of God so that its resiliency bears witness to the promise-making, promise-keeping, promise-loving God who died for us, who rose again for us, whose center of his attention is on this group of people here that the rest of the world is ignoring because through them, his glory would be displayed. You see, don't be discouraged. Um, yeah, it's sobering and it's hard. And I do wonder sometimes like, what in the world is this going to look like in six months or a year? Well, I don't know. And you don't know either. But what we do know is There's a promise-making and promise-keeping God who has said that there will always be a list. There will always be his people. And his glory will shine through even the smallest, seemingly insignificant group of those people. Because that's, that's who he is. And that's how he works. Let's, uh, let's ask him to bless us now and to encourage our hearts. Lord, we thank you today for um, the fact that we can see in this text your faithfulness and your promise to uh, be, uh, to have your people, to, that it would uh, live and breathe, that the body of Christ in all its diversity and all of its strain and in all of its failing, uh, that it would live. And live eternally. So we're grateful for that. Would you, would you encourage us with that today, Lord? I know that many folks here are worn down and beat down and tired. They worry about the people they love ever coming to faith. Uh, they worry about the witness that they've had. They worry about the witness of the church. Uh, they worry about the diversity that um, uh, they see around them. And they worry that the church isn't diverse enough. And so in all of these things, Lord, we pray that you would get glory, that you would move and that you would remind us um, that through all these centuries and indeed all these millennia, uh, the gates of hell have not prevailed. You prevail. And so animate our hearts. Move us by that, we pray in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, let's uh, confess our sins together by using this confession of sin that's in the bulletin, also up on uh, the screens behind me.
Lord God Almighty, your understanding is unsearchable and infinite. Your arm cannot be stayed. Holy is your wisdom, power, mercy, ways, works. How can I stand before you with my numberless offenses? I've often loved darkness, observed lying vanities, forsaken your given mercies, trampled underfoot your beloved son, mocked your providences, flattered you with my lips, broken your covenant. It is only in light of your compassion that I am not consumed. At the cross, may I contemplate the evil of sin and abhor it. May I look on him whom I pierced as one slain for me and by me. May I never despise his death by fearing his efficacy for my salvation. And whatever cross I am required to bear, let me see Jesus suffering mine. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 